Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile, and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. This statement by the prophet Jeremiah was shocking. The people of Israel had just been conquered by the Babylonian Empire. Whole swaths of their society, including many leaders and scholars, had been forcibly transported from their home country to the heart of their enemy's territory. As they listened to God's message delivered through Jeremiah, as they heard, seek the welfare of the city, they would have expected the next words to be something like, that will always be your home, or where God dwells, or some other words that would have made it clear the city God was talking about was Jerusalem. Jerusalem, which the Babylonians had sacked. Jerusalem, where the temple was located, the temple where God's living presence dwelt, the temple that the Babylonian troops had looted and burned. You may remember some words about Jerusalem from Psalm 137, which we prayed last Sunday. The composer of that psalm sang, If I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget its skill. Let my tongue cleave to the roof of my mouth if I do not remember you, if I do not set Jerusalem above my highest joy. Psalm 137 is one of the very few psalms set in a specific time and place, in the immediate aftermath of the Babylonian conquest of Israel in the 6th century before Christ. In the wake of that devastating loss, the prayer asks the gut-wrenching question, how shall we sing the Lord's song upon an alien soil? People whose home city and the center of their faith had been destroyed, people who had been forced to march for months to their conqueror's unknown capital, people who have been yelled at all along the way in a language they don't understand, people who have no reason to believe they will see the family, friends, and neighbors they left behind ever again. These people wonder if God has utterly abandoned them, if their relationship with God, so tied to their homeland, is irreparably torn. These are the people who expect Jeremiah to say, seek the welfare of the city from which you were so cruelly ripped. Take sides, always, for Jerusalem against Babylon. Have nothing to do with your conquerors. Isolate yourselves, trusting no one outside your own group until you return home. And may that homecoming happen soon. But God has a different and unexpected message for God's beloved and now traumatized and disoriented people. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. 
take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage, that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. The Lord is telling her people that they will be in Babylon a while. They will not forget their homeland, nor their God. They will keep the customs of their faith, even though they're cut off from visiting the temple. They will teach their language and their history to their children who will be born in the new land. And they will hope and pray for the chance to show those children their homeland one day. But while they're doing all that, God will help them find ways to make the strange new land home, even though it's a home where they were transported by force, even though it's a home that was first home to those who conquered them, who burned their capital city, who marched them hundreds of brutal miles into the unknown. Hundreds of years before Jesus instructed his disciples to love our enemies, God invited our forebears to see all human welfare as interconnected. God asked his people to imagine that their enemies wouldn't be their enemies forever. To imagine that one day their children might marry each other, speak each other's languages, have, have their own children who look like both sides of their family, two sides that had never before imagined they might one day become family. That kind of future is hard to see when you're in the thick of conflict, when you're marching with a spear at your back, or when you're the one holding the spear. And I have to believe God understands that our human imagination is limited, that the need for self-preservation can guide our actions in moments of extreme danger, and that the trauma left by violence takes time to heal. But God has always invited us to expand our imagination, to expand our sense of what is possible with God's help, with God's care, in God's time. In this country, African Americans are among the most obvious examples of people who have heeded God's call to build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat what they produce, seek the welfare of the city, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. Ripped from their various homelands, sold into slavery, transported across the ocean and held in captivity for centuries, this was the experience of the ancestors of most black people in this country. Since emancipation 160 years ago, generation after generation of African Americans and their allies of every skin tone have proclaimed, when we are all able to vote, laws and government policies are more just. When all our children can play, study, and walk down the street in safety, the whole country's future is brighter. 
When all workers are fairly paid and treated with dignity, the economy is stronger for everyone. But if rights and benefits, from the vote to fair wages and health care, are systematically withheld from any group, eventually their lack, that unfairness, will weaken the whole population, the whole society. Refugees from a variety of countries, from Latin America to Europe to the Middle East and beyond, often understand this, having seen the impact of violence and toxic politics in their original homelands. Veterans often understand the need for different, work, different groups to work together too, so our children won't have to fight the same wars their parents and grandparents did. And that kind of insight hasn't just motivated people seeking better, more cooperative paths here in the, United, in the United States. It has guided persistent peace seekers in Northern Ireland and in Israel and Palestine and in many other places that are still reaping the harvests of violence sown in the distant past and more recently. The understanding that all our futures are inseparably bound up together lay behind the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s statement that, and I'll quote him here, all life is interrelated. We are all caught in an inescapable network of mutuality, tied into a single garment of destiny. Whatever affects one directly affects all indirectly. This insight lies behind the work of community organizations like Durham Can, Durham congregations, associations, and neighborhoods to which some of our fellow Episcopal churches belong. Durham Can's mission statement says, we identify, bring together, and develop leaders across our communities so that we can accomplish more together than we could apart. Accomplishing more together than we could apart. Seeking the welfare of the city where we all live, however we or our ancestors got here. Understanding that we are tied into a single garment of destiny. These insights, these goals, were part of the divine vision for God's people 2,500 years ago and they're still part of God's vision and call to you and me today.